oftentimes when a new leader comes in, all you've got to do is pay attention to who the people are in your organization and what strengths they may bring to the table that may not have been harnessed by the organization yet. And I, and I think back on, uh, I, I used to, you know, they call it management by walking around, right? But it's really just showing a natural curiosity. By the way, curiosity as a leader is a superpower. Genuine curiosity is a superpower. Welcome to the Business Owner Transition Podcast. In this podcast, we talk with business owners, exit advisors, and a host of others to help you not just exit your business, but execute an elite exit by maximizing transaction value on your terms and without regret. Let's get right to it. Hi, everybody. It's Mike Quinlan, and welcome back to the Business Owner Transition Podcast. Look at that. I can't even tell, say my own podcast name here. <laughs> And, you want to get uh, that so, today, yeah. as many takes yeah. as you need. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Thanks, TD. Today, yeah. we've got a great show. We are going to expand on something that we talked about in our last show, which is elite preparation for your elite exit. And today, we're going to talk a little bit about what is it like to take yourself out of that leadership position and bring in somebody else to help you facilitate elite preparation over the next couple of years or whatever time that you have left prior to your transition, then take that same leader and hopefully take them into the new company as well. So what are the different scenarios that we might be in? One scenario might be that you have a wonderful, healthy company and you don't want to work for the new owner. You don't want to be part of a buyout. You want to be able to cut the cord right away when you sell the business. In order to do that, you want to have some continuity of leadership that goes into the new company. That is a huge value driver. The buyers absolutely will pay you more for that. So it's a good thing to work on. Scenario one is that you've got a great company and you just need to be able to pull the plug when you're done and have somebody else that's gonna take you into the new world. The second scenario might be that maybe your company is not thriving. Maybe your company is valuable, but it hasn't been firing on all cylinders in the last couple of years. And you need to bring somebody in that can help get it fully up to speed again and do that elite preparation, bring those financial statements back up, increase your EBITDA margins, and then take you into the transition. Two very different things. And then we're going to throw in a, a kicker at the end and talk a little bit about what happens if you get the wrong mindset in the wrong company. And to help us do all of this today, we've got T.D. Smyers. T.D. is an old friend of mine. You can see on the wall behind him that, that he is an old Navy guy. And, and you might even be able to see a little picture behind me that has to do with that as well. We served for many years back in the old days since uh, T.D. retired with a distinguished career in the military has been out working with other leaders. Uh, he's coaching executive leaders, owners, in multiple different types of scenarios, in scenarios where they're a leader inside the company already and they're being brought up into that primary leadership role as either as a CEO or president. Also, uh, help those leaders that are coming in a, to a transformational role and working with good, healthy companies. So TD, thanks for being with me today. Tell me a little bit about your company, what you're doing, and who sure. you're working with. Well, first of all, Mike, thanks for having me. Uh, it's, it's always great to spend some time with you. 
whether or not it's being recorded uh, and or whether it's over coffee or whether it's over rum. So I appreciate the opportunity and just to spend some time with you. And uh, as Mike said, I'm T.D. Smyre. Uh, Mike and I do share a common uh, heritage in the U.S. Navy. Uh, we were both U.S. Navy flyers and spent some time in the maritime patrol community. And that was my initial career. I did 31 years uh, in the Navy. Uh, Naval Academy graduate, went on into aviation, uh, built a career there. Finished up that career as a base commander, a joint base commander. And it was a great gig. It was a great opportunity to grow through squadron command and into installation command and experience all the things that that chief executive government role threw in front of me. Uh, after I retired from that role, I went into nonprofit leadership. So I was a social sector uh, CEO for the American Red Cross. And then after that for United Way, for a major market, United Way. And then I also had some startup nonprofits that I led as a board president. And so that rounded me out in a second sector of our economy, right? The nonprofit or social sector. Uh, my wife and I took some time off and went sailing. We sold everything, bought a catamaran and did some sailing while we were still young enough to do that. I think it's fashionable to call that a career pause now. <laughs> uh, and when we came back, I was asked to uh, take over the role of CEO for a small leadership development company and did that for a couple of years and helped refine some of the intellectual property processes and other processes within that company. So when all of this was laid out in front of me, I said, wow, I have been lucky enough to serve as a chief executive in all three major economic sectors, government, nonprofit, or social sector, and the private sector. And so I kind of looked at all of that experience and said, I think the best value I can provide now is to help leaders who are about to succeed in these roles, who are about to be named as an executive director or a chief executive of some type. And those who are in that role I can help get a great start in their first year. Those who are being groomed from functional lead positions like CFOs or COOs into the chief executive role, now they need a whole new set of skills, and I can help them hone those in preparation for those positions. So I've fallen into this niche of being a succession coach. And it's a niche that is necessary because it's one of those things that really wasn't coached that much. Now, Mike, you and I spent some time talking about how coaching can often be applied to helping people get their arms around some aspect of the business, you know, marketing or business development or sales or finance or something like that. And then the larger leadership coaching for executives. But what was missing in my world was somebody who was specifically targeted at those succession situations. Just at EliteExit.com, you fill a gap that is not currently being approached from any other areas of coaching. And that's helping that sustained business continue beyond the original inspiration of the founder. I'm excited about what you do, and I'm excited about how the our paths have come together in this space to have this conversation. And looking forward to it, man. It sounds like a lot of fun when you laid out the elements we're going to be tackling. Yeah, well, listen, I, I appreciate, uh, first of all, you uh, being part of EliteExit.com, putting some of that good thought leadership that you have on the platform, and then also joining me with the show today. Let's start with transformational leadership. It's the art of enhancement. Now, what kind of mindset or what are you looking at as a leader that is going into a, a, a company that's running well, but they're now just being brought in really to help affect that elite exit? Yeah, you used a couple of great words in one phrase that when you talked about the art of enhancement in this situation, it oftentimes is more art than science because you need to be able to sense and respond to so many different factors that are going on at the time 
And it's enhancement. When you contrast the situation of a company that's thriving, that's firing on all cylinders and the processes appear to be efficient and effective and the culture is good and strong. And you can look at that and say, wow, that's a great springboard from which to do amazing things. And that's a double-edged sword we'll talk about. But if you take that situation and you contrast it with an organization in decline, a company with declining revenues, declining market share, a crumbling culture, maybe toxicity in the ranks or in the executive team, You've got a situation in the former where you need evolution. You need a gentle hand with change management. And in the latter, you've got a situation where you need revolution. You need somebody (laughs) to prevent that plane from impacting when it's in the decline. So those situations require different types of leaders. And if you are an entrepreneur, founder, who's looking for the right management team leader, you need to be real cognizant of choosing the right type of leader. If you're that leader, then the self-awareness of whether or not you are the right leader for that situation is a real critical part of what will eventually be self-confidence in the role. Self-awareness, right, leads to self-confidence. And if you're that entrepreneur looking for that management team lead, that chief executive to, to take this professional staff and take your baby and continue to grow at scale, that situation where things are going well, it's it can be difficult. And it can be difficult because at first, the situation you described sounds like it's perfect, right? It's paradise. It's everything's going well. All I have to do is step in and not upset the apple cart. Well, that mentality, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, can really limit the stakeholders' risk tolerance, right? So the board of directors that comes in uh, or the management team, even the employee base, they're looking at, hey, we've built something great here and it's sustaining my quality of life. It's putting food on the table for my family and this Yahoo is coming in now. Any kind of instantaneous changes and you try to torque independently of the rest of the team can really produce some hyperbolic result to the negative. So while it's a great to move into a healthy organization, the leader that takes over needs to be really cognizant of the level of risk tolerance or risk aversion in that organization and how much sway they can take from the word go. And the reason that's a double-edged sword is because today in the economic environment we live in, where things move so fast based on the pace of technology, based on the pace of social change and what the customer base is expecting, you're really looking at a situation where you need to have some kind of change management strategy. So it becomes really nuanced. I need to plan for change. I don't need to do that change too fast. So the pace of that change becomes what's really critical in that situation. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk about maybe some traits for that type of leader. I look at a leader that is coming into a scenario like that, which I've been in a couple of times, actually, in my career. Yeah, me too. And in the civilian side, our military uh, leadership structure was a little different than what we've done in the civilian side. But I look at one of the things is engagement and motivation, right? You've got to be able to look at this potential person that is going to come into your healthy company, right? And understand what is their process for engagement? How do they feel about motivation? How do they think about engaging these already happy employees yeah. and being able to get more out of them over time? 
What are your thoughts around that? So the situation you describe is really a colorful one, right? I'm, I'm concerned about this person. How are they going to continue on with a culture that has been successful? And it's funny, we talked about how this leader that's going to come in and lead this management team is going to have to be self-aware of what kind of leader they are. And at the same time, the board or the committee or the individual entrepreneur who is selecting this individual has got to be cognizant of what kind of leader they're bringing in. But they also need to communicate their expectations. Now, you can have a person who's the right kind of leader, but you also have to achieve clarity. This is why you're right. being brought on board, right? I'm, I've created this wonderful thing. It's been my idea. It was my spark back in, in grad school, and I've brought it to fruition through this tech support network, and now I need somebody to manage it scale. You're communicating that helps the new leader see the scenario that's unfolding in front of them, and then they can make smart decisions about how much to change to apply and where. It also sets the stage for this kind of drama between the concept of loyalty and a lot of leaders come into a new environment. They want to establish loyalty, right? The real magic comes when you don't focus so much on establishing loyalty, you focus on establishing ownership and buy-in from the team. And those two things may sound like they're similar, but if you step back and look at them, you can see that loyalty is really focused on the individual, right? Are they loyal to the leader? You can say organizational loyalty. Okay, if you want to do that, then let's have them own part of the company. And I don't mean necessarily shares and monetary finance value. I'm talking about their ideas being brought to the table. And one thing I know that you advocate through EliteExit.com is coming in with some kind of an idea as a leader to communicate to the team and establish that clarity, right? Mm -hmm. This is the direction I see. A, I submit that if there are elements of that one pager that are not cut in stone, they're flexible. They've got some ability to be crafted by the team, then ask the team to do it. Ask them what they think about these aspects. Ask them which processes have put us in the situations we are now and we need to sustain. How do we grow those? How do we scale the more you ask questions, the better opportunity you have to achieve that deep ownership that comes from true buy-in to a company, not coerced buy-in or manipulated buy-in or purchased buy-in, but real buy-in from mutual ownership of the team. And I've lived that. I've experienced that in a couple situations. And it's very powerful. Uh, we, we talk a lot as we're growing up as managers about how, about listening techniques, right? You, you go through these communication classes and you get taught how to listen to people. Yeah. Yeah. If you want to show somebody you're listening to them, it's important to paraphrase what they're saying to you and your yeah. own word, give it back to them or to mirror their energy level and their pay or even to nod your head. We have all these little techniques, but truly, if you want to communicate to people that they've been heard, by far, the best way is to act on the information that they give you. So if you're asking the employees for help in looking at a particular process or a cultural element or a pace of operations, whatever, and they tell you it's important to take note of those things, even to the point of who said it, and then when you've implemented parts of those into the ultimate plan, letting them know that and giving them credit for it. In my experience, that is the best way for a new leader to come into an organization and establish that ownership uh, that will trump any kind of concepts on about personal loyalty down the road. Yeah, I agree with all of that. And maybe to show that I'm actively listening to you and I paraphrase or re repackage maybe a little bit what you said there, <laughs> is 
that I think that when a, any new leader comes in, especially in a scenario like that, this is transformational leadership. This is taking a good company, just moving it forward. And I think the number one thing is that you have to have collaboration. Yeah. Right? So that leader has to come in. And if you are interviewing this potential new leader, or you're thinking about management team and who are your senior managers and who do you think would be the best one to take forward, then go to leadexit.com. We're going to have a checklist there for, with some questions and things that you might be able to ask or, or think about. But I think collaboration is really important. That mindset must be resident in this leader. And then they have to be able to take that collaboration and turn it into something tangible. You mentioned a one-pager. Well, I think that when I help companies design strategy, that one of the biggest problems that they have is they like to write this hundreds of pages of strategy and then that nobody that will go? read. That's right. That's right. It goes on a wall somewhere and you don't generate any results from that or any buy-in from that. But having a nice one pager that, as you said earlier, it has the structure that is required to be able to take the company forward. It may not be filled in all the way yet. As a new leader that's collaborative in nature, you have an opportunity to go in and find out where the real expertise is. What are the ideas that have not bubbled up to the top yet? Use those smart people in your organization to help create this environment for the next thing I want to talk about, which is an innovative mindset. So the I'm Good Checklist is all about the key value drivers of your company, increasing cash flow, institutionalizing your management team, top line growth. So that's sales, that's bringing money in, optimizing your financial statements and your financial structure, documentation of operations and all those processes and strategies that are out there. And then the last one is diversifying your customer base or your income streams for your company. So that's the framework. Now, this innovative nature needs to go towards, okay, so I've got the framework. Now, how do I take these really smart people that I have out there, coalesce them together to improve each of these individual value drivers, which what does that do for us? It increases the value of the company, which goes to the very first piece of the elite exit, which is maximizing transaction value. But it also goes to the second two elements of the lead exit, which is leaving the company on your own terms and then doing it without regret because you've built a really strong company now. You have more leverage to negotiate from because you've got a strong company. You can potentially achieve those other two elements. Innovative mindset, I think, is critical. I think that documenting and including the people around you so that you can get to this next piece, which I think is key, and that is... Understanding that culture is a core competency and critical to taking the company forward. You know, Peter Drucker once said, culture eats strategy for breakfast. Right. Right? Yeah. And, and so just comment about that a little bit. Sure. In a situation where you're in a moving into a company that's doing well, it's established, it's processes, again, they seem efficient. They, its culture is very healthy and effective and participatory. In those kind of situations... Operating any changes you make in alignment with that culture ensures they're 
received well by the team because they're in alignment with the culture that the team has established, right? Leaders lead culture, but ultimately the culture permeates through the team. And the team can even self-sustain at some point that culture, right? Even through some leadership change. Operating in a way that's aligned and I like to say in flow with the culture is important when you're putting new processes in. And an easy way to do that is just what you've been talking about, right? A collaboratory, participatory approach to harvesting the intellectual capital on your team. Oftentimes, when a new leader comes in, all you've got to do is pay attention to who the people are in your organization and what strengths they may bring to the table that may not have been harnessed by the organization yet. And I, and I think back on, uh, I, I used to, you know, they call it management by walking around, right? But it's really just showing a natural curiosity. By the way, curiosity as a leader is a superpower. Genuine curiosity is a superpower. I would just walk around and look at the, what was on the walls of the team or in their cubicles or their offices, their spaces, right? Their lockers. You would see what they valued based on what was on their walls. And you know, sometimes it was a picture of family and I'd be able to say, oh, this is an individual with two kids and a Labrador. Or one, it shocked me as an individual that I had been talking to about some processes in the organization. And when I went by her cubicle, I noticed that she was a PhD. You know, she had a lot of cred in that space. And when I, when she met me to pick up our conversation a couple of days later, I, I told her, I said, I noticed when I came by your workspace to drop something off that you're a PhD, that you've studied your degree. Oh, it's not a big deal. I usually don't really talk about that much. And from that moment on, I referred to her in public as doctor. And a lot of people perked up at, why did he do that? And then they found out she had a PhD themselves. And it, it elevated her status in the company. Well, her motivation to participate at that point ratcheted up several levels. And I harvested that intellectual capital that I could see was in there, that documented, proven intellectual capital, and brought it to the table and highlighted it and gave it credit. And she was a power hitter for us for years yeah. from that point forward. So you bring in the important term collaborative. It's a collaborative approach. It lets people have ownership in the result and therefore, the result will be self-sustained by the company beyond the efforts to sustain it from the leader. So I think that's critical to operating within the flow of the culture and bringing smart change in that's aligned with that culture. The next thing that is really critical, we've talked about engagement and motivation. We've talked about innovation. We've talked about culture as a core competency. And I think the last one hit a focus on growth, right? Understanding that continuous growth is important to the organization. And by virtue of doing that, we have to balance stability of the company with the ability to be agile. And you spoke about something in the green room a few minutes ago about that sometimes in a company that is doing well, you've got two things you got to overcome. You got to overcome this change, the acceptance of change by the employee group, but you also have to overcome maybe risk aversion by the board. Yeah, big time. It's big, but well, because look at what you're doing. You're, we're at a point where we're ready to scale this company. Obviously, the concepts that the company is built around are solid. Our processes are good. We're healthy enough to hire a chief executive and a management team. And the, things seem to be going well. So anything you come in immediately and say, okay, I think we need to tweak this, or I think we need to tweak, that's going to be looked at almost instantaneously with a critical eye and with some level of suspicion, right? So the collaborative approach helps break some of that down because you're allowing the team to bring things up that they've probably been thinking about for a while anyway. 
and they know the processes, so they're the smart people to ask about it. But it also is it's clearly the cautionary focus for a leader. It's the cautionary, I should, what's the word I'm looking for? That It's what a leader should caution themselves to avoid is too strong of a rudder change early in the organization because things are going well. The reason that's a dangerous thing as well is because everything's changing, man. The way we communicate, the, the even some of the financial norms, I am amazed at how rapidly some of the things that seemed to never change, change in a blink of an eye now, in a season or a month or a week. Yeah. So if a leader comes in and does not have some sense of agility and some processes in place for sense and respond, sensing changes that happen in the economy, sensing changes that happen among our supplier base, changes that happen with our customers' expectations. If you're not sensing those and responding to them with some kind of change management strategy, then you're going to get outrun, underbid, trampled on in terms of market share. You're going to lose your place that you've so carefully put yourself in now because you're not responding proactively enough to change because there was that risk aversion that you had to appease by not making change. So that that's that double-edged sword. Uh, again, when you talked about the art of enhancement, I think that was really a brilliant way to encapsulate it. The leader that walks into that environment of a high-performance team has got to artfully establish some kind of change management that's more evolutionary than revolutionary. I talk about this as change not for change's sake. You use some terminology that I think got overused in the 80s and early 90s, right? This change management concept. And for a while, every guru out there was talking about change management. Yeah. So companies were implementing these change management programs because they thought they needed to implement a change management <laughs> program, right? So it yeah. was, yeah, they were changing just because it, it was fashionable. So, but I, I talked to people about, you don't change for change's sake. You change with a purpose. That's, right? a, that's a great way, to, a great perspective to bring to it. Yeah. And you always have to evolve. If you don't evolve, then your company is going to wilt away. Yeah. But change with a purpose. Now, I'll tell you a quick story about the uncertainty and a new leader coming into a thriving business. So when I retired from the Navy and I was asked to come in and lead a company. So I moved to Atlanta, I came in and the, one of the very first things I did was I talked with every employee in the company, sat down, have a conversation. And this one young lady who was a senior manager in the, in the business, she sat down with me and I was very careful about how I did these. I, I didn't do them in my office. I did them in a, another room. I didn't sit across the table from somebody or, and project this position of power. I sat next to them and the young woman was sitting there and she had her arms crossed across her chest and she was sitting back the body language of people. If you're not watching this on YouTube, <laughs> you're just listening. You can see me doing this body language that TD's laughing about because yeah. he's seen it before. And uh, so she was just not really impressed or happy that I was there. And I started going through my spiel with her and asking her questions and she was hesitant to answer. And she finally looked at me and she said, why are you even here? We've got a great company. What are you going to do? Yeah. This short story encapsulates many of the things that we've been talking about today, right? It's the challenge for a new leader to come into an already thriving company that has good culture and be able to enact upon that art of enhancement. 
And yeah. it takes a deft hand to be able to to nurture and bring these people forward to positive, well thought out change with a purpose. Yeah, it's that's a great story, and it illustrates a, a lot of what, the culmination of a lot of what we we're just talking about. And I, I'll throw a cautionary out there. I think the because your story reminded me of a similar story I had, but the undercurrents of it were very different. In your story, uh, you had a person who was pretty much invested in the company and said, hey, we've got a great company. Why do we need you? Things are going great already. Well, what, do you, what kind of apple carts are you going to upset? Um, I had a situation where I was, and, and this could apply, by the way, the situation I'm about to describe could apply in a healthy environment, but it's really prevalent in organizations that are failing. And it's somebody with an agenda. And I'm guilty of it. I have to watch it in my coaching that I don't try to create this superhero motif. Like you are going to be able to come in and with your amazing abilities to influence uh, and inspire people, you're going to be able to line everybody up. There, there are going to be occasions, especially in companies that are failing, because there's reasons why that happens, right? Where you've got people that have built a power structure, they're comfortable within that power structure, and your arrival is about to upset their world, right? And they don't take to that kindly. And they're because they're operating on an agenda that's not aligned with yours, it's not aligned necessarily with the success of the company, their agenda is aligned to protect their own power base. And that could, that often is at odds with the company, and that's why the company is failing, or maybe a reason why the company, part of the reason why the company is failing. So in that situation, sometimes as a leader, you've got to come in and you've got to trim the tree a little bit. Mm -hmm. you know, some of those folks are going to have to move on. And, yep. uh, you know, anybody who's led a turnaround, uh, which I'm, I, this, maybe that's a good segue, Mike. I don't know. It is, actually. <laughs> anybody who's led a turnaround will tell you that they have had to let some people go that, I mean, after noble efforts to try to get everybody aligned and to try to bring new perspective and to try to earn trust of people, if somebody's operating in an agenda with an agenda that's going to be opposed to yours and opposed to the success, the sustained success of the company, then sometimes you just got to cut that, cut that limb off the tree. TD, thanks a lot. This has been a great start to our leadership series, The Art of Enhancement Versus the Challenge of Transformation. Let's go ahead and give the audience some time to digest this first episode and get ready for the next one, where we're going to take the discussion to a company that has not been firing on all cylinders and needs a different style of leadership. For all you out there, remember to check the show notes and look for our link, the top 10 questions you should ask leadership candidates for your well-run business. You can also visit EliteExit.com and view our Elite Exit coaching offerings. And go ahead and sign up for our membership site waiting list. That is going to be released in the next couple of months. Going to have great content for you to go out and start your journey to your elite exit. So we'll see you next time on our next episode of the Business Owner Transition Podcast.